We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right, so what we're going to do then is we're going to turn our hearts and our attentions to Psalm 138. We've been hearing it already this morning. We've been hearing uh, good chunks of that psalm, different verses here and there through our liturgy. There's only eight verses in total, so we've already heard like half of it. Uh, But I'm going to read all of Psalm 138 to us now. And then we're going to take some time to exposit really two verses. (laughs) What that means is I'm, I'm going to explain two verses really, and kind of what I think the Lord wants for us to hear in the main idea for today. But we're also going to, I'm going to take some time just to stop and pause throughout my speaking for us to listen, for us just to listen to what God has for us, for each of us. So Psalm 138, a Psalm of David says this, I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing your praise before the heavenly beings. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your constant love and truth. You have exalted your name and your promise above everything else. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased strength within me. All the kings on earth will give you thanks, Lord, when they hear what you have promised. They will sing of the Lord's ways, for the Lord's glory is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he takes note of the humble, but he knows the haughty from a distance. If I walk into the thick of danger, you will preserve my life from the anger of my enemies. You will extend your hand. Your right hand will save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Lord, Your faithful love endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. This is God's word. Father, we ask that as we listen to your word, as we listen to your spirit, as we hear you speak to us this morning, God, that we would respond. We would hear your call. That we would come closer toward you that we would allow ourselves to be transformed by you and by your word and by your love and by your nearness. We thank you for the work you're doing in our lives. We pray, God, that we would see more clearly the work you have yet to do and that by your grace, we would partner with you in that work. In the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus, to the glory of the Father, we pray. Amen. So last night outside of Cultivate, I had a conversation with a young man that we've been uh, developing a kind of friendship and relationship with over a few weeks now, a few months actually. And he was struggling with some things. And so he wanted to talk outside and we stepped outside and started pouring down rain like crazy just a few minutes before that. And so it was fun to be out there with the rain still trickling off the roof and the clouds and everything but it kind of reflected what was going on inside of him. And he was just in a, in a dark place. And he shared with me, man, I I don't really, I just don't know what's wrong with me, but I know that I keep thinking about death 
and it scares me. And so that was a really fun way to start a conversation. <laughs> he said, do you ever get afraid of thinking about death, like when you're going to die? Because you're older. <laughs> not joking, that's what he said. <laughs> Thanks for couching that really nicely, buddy. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm a lot closer to it than you are, most likely. I said, you know, I, I can understand where you're coming from. I have been there before. But to be honest, death has become a really beautiful thing for me in these last few years. And he gave me the oddest look. Like, dude, you are a twisted, morbid person. I said, but here's the thing. Part of it is because I know that it's not going to be the end of my story. It's not the final say. And he gave me a look and I said, let's talk more about that in a moment. But first, let me say this, because this will be shorter. That also, when I think about death, when I consider it, it really allows me to be grateful for the moments I have right now and for the moments I've already had. See, when you're not thinking about that reality, you're just thinking about, man, I can't wait until this, right? I can't wait until this comes. I can't wait until what's next. Maybe one day this will finally solve all my problems, right? But when you have a a right understanding of the fragility of life and of what short time we actually have as human beings, and a lot of this is found reading the book of Ecclesiastes, by the way, which sounds like a morbid book too, but it actually is full of a lot of beauty. When you reflect on that, reflect on the end of your day's coming, you stop and you look at what you currently have and you are more grateful for it and you intentionally enter into it with beauty. And I said, so each day what I try to do is at the end of the day, I try to reflect on something I have to be grateful for of that day. Something God has provided for me, even in the midst of brokenness. And so even when I've had an argument with my wife that day, I stop and I reflect on the other day of how grateful I am that my wife and I are still here in the same house. Or when I've had a hard time with my kids, I stop and I think and I'm grateful on how beautiful and wonderful and fearfully God has made them. You know, Or when I'm struggling with paying bills, I stop and I think, thank you, God, that I had food to eat today. And so even in the midst of hard things, you can find reasons to praise and to be grateful and thankful. And I want to just pause right there in the story of my conversation with this young man for a second and enter into that, enter into the psalm with that in mind, because I think that's what we're seeing, that David, the guy who wrote the psalm, is calling us to, as he says that he will, or that he is praising the Lord with all his heart, he's inviting the congregation of God's people to join him in that. This is actually a series of seven psalms or eight psalms from Psalm 138 to 145 that are all of David. Sometimes they're called the Psalms of Ascent because the people would recite them as they were moving toward the temple up in Jerusalem, as they were kind of ascending toward that and making their pilgrimage later on in in the life of Israel. And it was something as they were turning their attention and their heart toward the temple, which does two things. One, it reminds you of how holy and sovereign and reverent God is with how ornate the temple was. But two, it reminds you of how near God is because God gave instructions to build a temple so that he could dwell there among his people. And so as they're moving toward that, they would recite these Psalms that would remind them to be grateful and to sing praise and thanksgiving to God. 
And so in verse 1, it says, I will give thanks with all of my heart. With all of my heart. As you think about what you do with all of your heart in your day-to-day routines, your everyday life, what does your heart move you toward? What does it motivate you toward? And when I say heart, I don't just mean your thoughts or your affections. But when David wrote heart, when the ancient Hebrew people would say heart, what they were talking about was your whole motivation, your whole being, what you are living for. This is actually a call back to uh, something that the Jewish people would recite every day called the Shema. It was this prayer they gave every single day, and it comes from a command that God gave them in Deuteronomy 6.5, which we can throw up here on the screen. No, did it die? No, it's not working. That's great. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6.5. It's a good thing that we didn't have like any videos or anything today. All right, that means I actually have to physically turn pages here. Deuteronomy 6.5, God commands this. He says, in verse 4, let me back up there because this is important. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so Moses, giving this command from God, says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus contextualizes this later when he's around in the Greco-Roman world and they're very much about the mind. And so Jesus also says, and with all your mind, but he's quoting from this and he's getting at the same point, which is with your whole self, your whole being. As I continue to have this conversation with this young man, we talked about the other reason I don't fear death the same way I used to because I know it's not the end of the story. And I know that because there's one who already conquered death on our behalf, that if I trust in him and I follow him, that I too will pass through death as he did, but I too, like him, will enter into the newness of life. And we had a whole long conversation about what that meant, but he asked me at one point, so does that mean like I can believe in Jesus, but I can still live the way I want to live because I still want to live. And I said, well, let's talk about what that word believe means. What do you mean by that? I want to turn that question on us this morning to see what do you mean by that? That you believe Jesus. What do you mean when you say, I do love him with all my heart? Because what is meant by that, the call, the invitation, is not just to feel it inside in your emotions. And it's not just to think it up here in your head. But it's to actually allow your whole being to be formed and shaped by this truth of who he is. And to have the whole motivation of your existence to fall in line with the one who created you and gave you existence. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's from Romans. Paul wrote much later after David. And he doesn't just mean if if you feel like that's right. And if you say it one time in a prayer or an altar call when you were a kid. 
But what he's saying is, if your whole life motivation <laughs> believes this is true, this is the way to life, and, and you actually then begin to speak that to the people around you, that's the truth that you're speaking. That's what you're making your life about and you're making it known to others. That Jesus is what? Lord. Not your superhero who rescued you one time. Not your buddy. King. If you really believe he's king, then your actions, your life will begin to, and this was our conversation last night, will begin to fall in line with the one who has authority over you. And you're going to mess it up because I still mess it up. But more and more each day, God willing, if you're submitting yourself to him, he will help you through that. That was the conversation last night, and that I think is our conversation this morning. Do you, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength, with all of your mind, say, yes, God, you are king over my life? Or are there other things fighting for your heart, fighting for your affections, fighting for your motivations? And so I would love for us just to take a moment right now in some silence and reflect. It's hard work to do that introspection and know ourselves, to know our hearts, because they can be deceitful. And they could tell us, no, we're doing pretty good. But to stop and take some time to reflect on what has been the motivation of my life this week? Where has my whole heart been? Let's take a time and just think back on your week and do that. There should be some conviction we feel, something that says, oh, this isn't, this isn't good. This isn't right. This isn't okay. But what I want us to do is to take that then to a person. Take that specifically to our Lord, Jesus, the one who knows your heart already. He already knew the answer to that question of what is your heart motivated by? And he's still present with you. And when we take that to him, that conviction then allows for transformation and for healing rather than condemnation, which brings shame, beating ourselves up, feeling very bad about ourselves. Jesus wants us to be renewed. He wants us to look more and more like him every single day. And so when you reflect on areas where maybe you have fallen short, rather than holding those in for yourself to stew on, release those to him. Jesus, this is where I've fallen short, and I I need you. And he is faithful to respond, and he is faithful to draw near, and he is faithful to do some healing, transformative work to make us more and more into the image of true followers of Jesus, sons and daughters of God. After that reminder of this prayer that the Israelites would say every single day from Deuteronomy 6.5, the Shema, that Israel, remember, the God that you have, he is the one God. Love that God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He says this, I will sing your praise. This is just the second half of verse one. Remember, don't worry. I said we're only going to talk about two verses. (laughs) Second half of verse one, I will sing your praise 
before the heavenly beings. Now, we've talked about that a little bit this month as we've looked through the Psalms already. That word there, the Hebrew word is Elohim. And what that means is gods. Little g gods. With an S, plural. But gods. The spiritual beings. It's, it's a reminder once again that in this world, there are other spiritual forces at work. There are other powers at play. And they are doing things in this world. And they are calling for people to come and follow and worship them. And many do. And David's saying, no, I will sing your praise, Yahweh, the God of gods, the El of all Elohim, the one who rules above all heavenly beings. I will sing your praise before them. It doesn't mean just before, like, let me, let me praise you first and then I'll get to it. It's in, in their presence. So they will hear that you are the one who deserves all praise. In the presence of the world that we live in, there are all kinds of things being praised, aren't there? And maybe people wouldn't use spiritual or religious language like that. But there's all kinds of things being exalted, being lifted high, being hailed, being envied, being something calling to you and saying, this is what life's about. This is what you need for your life to have meaning. And the psalm is reminding us, in front of all of those, in the face of all of those, we have one who is actually worthy to be praised. That he is more powerful than the heavenly beings even because he created all things in heaven and on earth. Spiritual beings and terrestrial beings alike. The God of Israel, Yahweh, is the God over all gods. And he alone is worthy of our praise. Now, we think about that now, and maybe we don't have, like, a bunch of gods that were, were enticed to go and worship, right? Uh, like the ancient Near Eastern world did. They, they did. They saw these other nations around them doing that. We don't have that same draw, right? Like, you can, maybe you went and watched the new Thor movie. I haven't seen it yet, but, like, I know there's, like, all these Greek gods in it, and it's like, you're, you're not watching that going, like, oh, maybe Zeus is the right, like, I doubt that's true of anybody in here. We don't have that same tug, but we have a lot of little g-gods enticing us, don't we? Let's go to Isaiah real quick. Isaiah 2. Once again, not working on the screen. Will someone read Isaiah 2, verse 8 for us? You might be able to get there on your phone faster than I can flip the pages. Just read it out loud. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. Can you read that again in the microphone? Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. Thanks, Crystal. Think about how foolish that sounds, right? Like, Israel did this too. God just rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, through the waters of the Red Sea, through the wilderness. Moses goes up a mountain. He comes down, and they have melted down all the gold that God allowed them to take out of Egypt. And they turn it into a statue of a golden calf, and they start worshiping that thing. Aaron says, these are your gods that brought you out of Egypt. 
this thing you just made with your own hands. Like that was the culture of the day was you would fashion something in the likeness of these spiritual beings, little G-gods. But what you end up doing is you're bowing down to wood or metal or something you formed, you carved with your very own hands. Think about how foolish that would be for you to go home today, get some wood from Home Depot, build a little like miniature cabin thing and set it on your mantle in your home and then bow down and start worshiping it. It's foolish, right? But I'm willing to bet that many of us in here, if not all of us, often worship the work of our own hands. Just looks a lot different today, doesn't it? We worship the work that we do. Anyone ever been called a workaholic before? Do you often come home just talking about your work? Is it like the goal of your life? Remember that heart motivation is to do this thing really well? We're about to start that whole work as worship thing. And let me tell you, we should be doing our work well, okay? But how much of that has captured your heart? How much of your heart is directed toward the thing you're producing rather than the one who produced you? the one who's made you with his own hands. Sometimes it's not just our work. Sometimes it's, it's our reputation. It's the way that we look in front of other people. Sometimes it's the things we do for enjoyment or for comfort. And we worship those things. You don't bow down and sing praises out loud, but your life, your heart, your motivation is going after that. This is a call to remind us to turn away from that. That's what repentance is, and turn towards something else. Ephesians 2 talks about this as well. Ephesians 2, while you turn to Isaiah, I turn there, so I'll read this. Verses 8 through 10. Paul wrote, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. Do you hear that? It's not your work, it's not what you accomplished. Even your Christian work sometimes becomes the things that we start to worship. Man, my doctrine is so, it's so tight. It's so good. I've read so many books. I really understand the Bible, right? Like, there are people who worship that about themselves, the work of their studying. And this is what Paul says. You're not saved by that. You are not saved by grace through, or sorry, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from your works so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Did you hear that? Why don't you worship the work of your hands? Why aren't you saved by the works that you do? Because we're his work. We're the work of his hands. He's the God who fashioned and formed the very first human with his actual hands out of the dirt of the ground. But he continues to do work in your life today. He continues to be at work in your heart. We are his workmanship. And the final fullness completed work of Jesus is the work that we boast in. 
that when Jesus on the cross says it is finished, when he conquered sin and death and the grave, when he rose out of that tomb, victorious over all of it, he did work and he put an end to that. He put an end to the power of those other spiritual beings who are trying to call out to you. And he gave something else, something greater or more beautiful for your heart to be called toward. To say, come and follow me. Trust in me. Believe in me. Your work now is simply to follow in the work of Jesus. The work that he's already accomplished. Let me read that last part again really quick. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. It's his work, right? You are his work and he's happy and pleased with his work. You've been created in Christ Jesus because the work of Jesus has brought you salvation. But it doesn't stop there. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. So it doesn't mean you have nothing to do. This is where my conversation with my young friend kind of ended last night. As he was thinking about his fear of death, what he was most afraid of was what if there's nothing there? What if it's just dark and black? What if there's nothing? And as, as I was sharing the hope that I had, and he starts asking, well, what, what do you think that's going to be like? I said, there's going to be some work involved. Because work existed before things all went to hell. There's going to be some work involved. It's going to be very good, though. You'll have purpose. God will have a plan for you still. Like, you will have something that you're doing, and you'll find joy from it and fulfillment. But you'll also get to rest. In your work, you'll rest because the true work's already been done. You're just displaying that in your everyday actions. Because we're called to also feast at a banquet table. To party with Jesus. We get to work in the work that he's already accomplished. And we get to rest in the work that he's already accomplished. And he'll be present with us the whole time. And that sounds so much more hopeful than just darkness and black. And it just being done, right? And it sounds so much more hopeful than just floating on a cloud with a harp in your hand too. But singing the same song over and over again with nothing to do. Like, we'll actually have the fullness of life that we get to experience. And this is the work that Jesus has accomplished for us. And it's the work that he is continuing to do as he brings full restoration to all the world. And that's why Psalm 138 ends with the same thing. In verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Lord, your faithful love endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. We are his work. He's the worker. We're his workmanship. He creates us, though, for a purpose. And he will be the one who sees to it that that purpose comes to fruition. And Jesus has already done the heavy lifting of that work for us. Through his life, death, and resurrection. We now get to walk in that. Not just feel like that's true here in our heart, the way that we use heart in our culture today. Not just think, that sounds right up in our heads, but to actually have our whole life be motivated toward that truth 
that Jesus is the king who has already done the work and we just get to follow him in it now. Amen.